Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Troy Sorrento to the show. Welcome, Troy. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate you having me on. Troy is a senior account executive and team lead at Lookout. If you want to find Lookout, you probably still need to look on your phone because they are a leading iOS and Android security platform. And I absolutely do have Lookout on my phone. So I was uh, happy when I got connected to you. And by way of backstory for the listeners, the way uh, the reason Troy is on the show is because I have been asking lately sales leaders in different companies to recommend their best AEs to come on the show and talk about well, they get to brag a little bit, so I'll give Troy permission to brag, but I also want to hear about other AEs that they've worked front with and learned from that were top AEs in their companies. So that is what we are going to do today. Before we do that, I often give guests a choice of a number of different questions to get to know them. And I always love when they want to talk about a book because it doesn't always happen these days. And uh, Troy has a book in mind. So Troy, what's what's a recent book that you read and, and enjoyed? Yeah, so a little bit of backstory here. I've uh, been listening to a, another podcast in the health and wellness space called The Model Health Show for a long time now. Uh, this guy, Sean Stevenson, hosts it, and I just really like his vibe. He, uh, he's super positive, really informative, kind of research, fact-based information on a number of different topics. And he had a guy named Pedro Shohai on. Uh, I hope I pronounced that name right there. Back in like November, December, and he was promoting a new book called Focus. And it talks a lot of just about how you can bring your life into a, like a flow state, right? And as salespeople, right, there's a lot of things that we have to do on a day-to-day basis that may not be the most fun, right? Whether that be prospecting, cold calling, writing emails to current customers or prospective customers, you know, all of that can take a lot of motivation on a day-to-day basis. And this book talks about how you can water different areas of your life garden, quote unquote, there, just to make sure that you're always in a balance, right? Uh, Whether that be with work or your friends or your family or hobbies, just bringing that general balance to your life and bringing you into a greater state of flow. So the way I'd like to start is to ask you to reflect maybe on a couple of top AEs that you've worked with, either at Lookout or one of your previous employers like Carbon Black. And what was it that made that person top performer relative to others in the organization? Yeah. So I'll go back to my carbon black days there. Um, They have a great program. They got acquired by VMware a year and a half ago or so, uh, but I think they still have a lot of the same frameworks in place. So they were big on internal promotion. So I actually stumbled into an SDR role out of college. I went to Northeastern University here in Boston and Thought I was going to be a finance guy. Uh, did a lot of internships over my five years at Northeastern in finance and just didn't work out for me. So I ended up being an SDR at Carbon Black and they had a great training program there. A uh, woman, Susan Ahn, uh, was the director and she just was always asking for people to give 100% every single day. And she actually ended up being my director when I got promoted into a corporate sales role. And I sat right next to her, actually, we had an open office and it was a blessing and a curse, right? Because I feel like every day I had to show up and just be 
an absolute monster in terms of like activity, whether it was calling partners, whether it was reaching out to prospects, whether it was just like asking her questions or people around me questions. So I'm normally a very extroverted guy, but I felt like it made me that much more extroverted and it made me want to compete that much harder. So from like a leadership perspective, that was definitely somebody that made me better there uh, just through her like presence, right? And a lot of her direction, she had been selling there for a long time. There is some debate that continues to go on in this first line sales management world about whether or not first line managers should coach on activity. And some people say, like, if a rep is is hitting their numbers, don't inspect on activity. You are clearly hitting your numbers. But was Susan still inspecting you on activity on the either day to day or week to week basis? Yeah. So they had put in some more like day to day or week to week automated reporting by the end of my time there. So we were getting scorecards every week. We didn't necessarily have anything other than like the Salesforce CRM telling us like, hey, this is how many calls you made a week. This is how many emails you sent out. So there wasn't really any context behind the data. It was more of just, and I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was pounding the phones, like cold calling a million people. It was smart activity. It was like, Hey, we want you calling, you know, these five partners because we have great relationships there. We've historically done a lot of business with them or, Hey, let's, you know, leverage this technology alliance partner. So I felt like they kind of let you run your own business there. And they would always say that to us. They would say, Hey, you're running your own business with somebody else's money. And I've always loved that because you actually feel empowered as a rep when somebody says to you like, Hey, this is your job. Like you can take it seriously, you can not take it seriously. And there was people that I worked with that didn't take it very seriously. So to kind of get back to your question there, she wasn't over my shoulder every single day. My manager now who actually worked with me at Carbon Black as well is the same way. He kind of just lets you run your own show. And and I really like that. I like that approach more than kind of micromanaging folks. Got it. And also before you get to the other rep at Carbon Black, I did want to circle back on, on two other things. Uh, you mentioned Northeastern and they're famous for having actually an incredible sales program. And I've met a lot of people who went through their sales program and did internships. Uh, but it sounds like you did different internships and went into sales. So did you feel when you were, um, I guess, interviewing coming out of there, did you feel like you were competing with other Northeastern grads who had actually been through the sales training program there? It's funny. I took a sales class my senior year. It's just like a throwaway elective. And I remember we'd have to go into like Hoover's or discover org and do like a bunch of homework assignments in there. And I remember saying like, never going to use any of this stuff. We would be in HubSpot. I'm like, this is so boring. Like, what am I doing here? And then I just struggled the first four or five months after Northeastern to find a job. And I was, I was mad. Cause I was like, Hey, I'd done three, seven month internships throughout college. Like I had that kind of like arrogance or, you know, sense of privilege, like I deserve a job, right? And I deserve a job at a great company. And the world like kind of woke me up and was like, no, you, you know, you need to just kind of fall into line and you need to apply to jobs like everybody else. And you can't expect just because you did all these things previously that anybody's going to hand you like this awesome job out of school. So I ended up going into uh, one of my father's friend's offices. He's in uh, technology sales here in Boston at a, a company called Turbonomic. And we were focused on finding me finance jobs. So they had a opening for a financial analyst position at Carbon Black. And I interviewed with one of the recruiters there. And he was like, hey, you just don't have the experience that we're looking for. 
And then he called me back like two weeks later and he was like, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation a few weeks ago. We have open positions here for our SDR program. Why don't you come in and interview? So I did. And every single person asked me, they were like, you know, why do you want to do this? Like your resume does not like scream like, Hey, this kid like wants to be in sales. And my eventual manager, uh, this guy, Tony Ivano, he works at a company called Recorded Future Now was the only guy that vouched for me because he had been in finance before. And he said to uh, Susan Ahn, who I mentioned earlier, I think he said to her like, hey, like I get this kid. He'll be on my team. Like I really like him. So it was a different process, I think, than most people take. But it was uh, it was something that I'm glad I stumbled into. And I'm glad that Tony stuck up for me when he did there. Did you feel you know, a lot of SDRs, right? They're calling, they're booking meetings, but they don't necessarily get a ton of, of training on how to close. Did you have some preliminary training or was it on the job as fast as possible? Yeah. So like I said, the SDR program at Carbon Black, I think I took it for granted when I was there. Uh, we had a great SDR floor. Uh, we have had probably 60 or 70 people that were calling on all types of different companies across the US, right? Whether that was commercial, government, SLED, we, you know, we broke it out in a number of different ways. And I think the thing that was most valuable was that they split it out into commercial and SMB and then enterprise uh, when I was an SDR, right? So I was a part of like the first group that just solely focused on enterprise level companies. So we frame that as 5,000 employees and above. So not necessarily by revenue. But what that taught me was like, I really needed to be dialed in with how I was targeting people. I couldn't just send out a big email blast. It wasn't dial as many people and see how many pickups you can get. It was really understanding each of the businesses that I was going after in my small uh, segmentation and working really diligently with the reps that I was assigned to to see how much I could really soak in. I worked for a guy named Ben Truck, who was the enterprise rep out in Colorado and Utah. And he was a really good mentor to me early on and taught me a lot about the sales process from an enterprise perspective. So when I got up to the closing role, yeah, it was a lot to take in at once. And I kind of felt like I was underwater there for a quarter or two. But by my third quarter in it, I was really confident in myself. So it, it wasn't that I wasn't trained up or ready to go when I got into the seat. It was just, I was going a million miles an hour and I had to have people tell me to slow down because I was really just trying to like drink from the fire. I was way too fast there. You also mentioned the degree of personalization, right? How much effort do you put into one contact or do you just try to make it generally relevant to their role and what they do? So I'm curious in, in your approach to prospecting, where do you currently land on that? So when I was at Carbon Black, I talked about how we didn't necessarily have the context behind the data. And we had a guy come in here at Lookout. His name's Ian Klein, came over from Akamai uh, in their marketing department. And he is a really big proponent of marketing tech. So like the Bombora, the Rollworks, Google Analytics, like... And I'm a data guy, right? Coming from finance, like that's what I felt like my background was. And like even on my other screen here right now, right? It's like I have as many tabs open with as much data in them as possible, right? Like I want to know everything that's going on 
you know, from any of the leads that are coming to our website, to the companies that are surging on different topics, to the ads that we're serving through Rollworks and how those are driving people to consume content on our site. So getting back to the carbon black thing, it's like when I was there, it was like, oh my God, if, you know, somebody's the VP of information security, he's the guy, right? And we didn't have the context of like, is this person in the market? Unless a partner would reach out to us and be like, hey, you know, they're trying to replace their antivirus. So there wasn't this like educated, there wasn't any education behind what we were doing. It was like, this guy is a VP of information security. He has his CISSP certification. You know, he follows our company on LinkedIn. So he's like the guy. This has allowed us in a market that hasn't necessarily matured to the same point of where the next generation antivirus market is that Carbon Black and CrowdStrike and those companies play in. It's allowed us to focus in on the companies that are actually in the market for our solutions. To the personalization question, it's become easier to personalize things in mass, right? We have messaging that we can really just alter one or two words or one or two lines and just shoot that off to people, right? Like we'll do things like, hey, Mr. Prospect, there might be one or two things that we can agree on and maybe one that we disagree on, right? So we'll go to their LinkedIn, we'll see, hey, that guy went to Boston College and that guy really likes the Red Sox. So we'll be like, hey, Mr. Prospect, there's a few things we can agree on, one that we'll probably disagree on. And we'll be like, you know, Boston College is better than Northeastern at hockey. The New York Yankees are better than the Red Sox. And then number three will be like, you need mobile security in this type of way, right? And they'll usually get back to us, maybe not on the first touch, but they'll be like, hey, that's funny. Uh, that is a new one for me. It's, it is clever. And we have a we have this thing called Email Grader, uh, emailgrader.com. It's a free resource. And I got to check the word disagree in there, but I bet it's actually quite effective. I actually use the Email Grader and the Subject Grader in all of my first touches that I install. So I use SalesLoft. We used one of the competitors at Carbon Black when I was on my way out there, but I really enjoy sales loft for a million different reasons that we could definitely go into here, but I like the subject line grader and the email grader as well. Well, great. So um, now that I took you down these other paths, I'd love to hear about that other AE that you respected and learned from over at Carbon Black. Yeah. So that was really one of the great things at Carbon Black was everybody was open, no matter what their title was for you to sit in like on a demo, or if it was like uh, one of the managers there, uh, deal reviews. And one of the guys, when I first got into a closing role at Carbon Black, uh, his name is Kevin Sanda. Uh, he was the top rep at Carbon Black for a long, you know, two, three, four years. I forget how long he was actually there. He just left, I believe, this past year to take a field position. So he was an inside seller at Carbon Black and he was covering uh, commercial and SMB North Carolina when I first got into the seat. And I sat right behind him and I remember for the first two to three months, like I was just, I was tapping him on the shoulder, like every five minutes, like, Hey, can you help me in sales off, make this or Salesforce, make this quote? What do I say to this partner? You know, how should I price this out? What should I do on this demo? What's your experience with this? He would always help me out, but it got to the point, like I said, where I was trying to go too fast and he would just turn around and be like, Hey, I can't help you right now. Like, I can't do that right now, but I will help you later. And that was one thing that I always appreciated was that he always ended up helping me. And he was just really, we just really connected. We were the same age. I think I was even older than him. And he was like one of the top reps of the company. And I was like 23 at the time. So he was crushing it when he was like 21, 22, just had like a natural instinct for it and uh, kind of that killer mentality. And 
wasn't about the activity with him. It was just about nurturing the partner relationships that we had within his specific region. He was just an absolute expert at that. And he really scaled his business out that way. And honestly, the people that were most successful at Carbon Black were the ones that figured out how to master uh, the channel strategy and, and those partners to help them grow the business without, you know, having to really not lift a finger, right? Because we were going out and enabling them and traveling to see them. But it's kind of like buying a stock, right? Like that company is going to do their work without you owning that stock or, you know, if you own that stock, right? It doesn't matter to them, but your money's being put to work at night, you know, during the day, you know, you don't have to lift a finger, right? That's how we kind of looked at the channel. It was like, we're making an investment in people that can help us get into accounts and do the work without having to necessarily talk to them every single minute of the day. Yeah. And often channel partners are non-exclusive. So you do need to get their attention on your product because they can sell something else. What are, for people who either are selling through the channel today or, or may have a role where they're doing that in the future, what's your best advice on engaging channel partners as a rep? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was selling a Carbon Black, there was three companies that channel partners would pitch. They called it the three Cs. So CrowdStrike, Silence, Carbon Black. We would go into these channel partners like CDW, Optiv, SHI, and they'd be like, yeah, I just pitch all three of you. When a customer asks for an AV replacement, I just say, hey, we got these three. They all kind of do the same thing. We'll bring them in for a demonstration and like, we'll see what happens. And not that we weren't successful in beating our competitors, but you know, when there's not humongous differences between each of you, you know, oftentimes we'll come down to price or we'll come down to an integration with the technology that they have. So for me... I always just tried to focus on getting in good with like one or two people at each channel partner that we had and really like understanding, hey, like, where are you doing most of your business? Is it in the data center? Is it in security? Are you doing like virtualization projects for these guys this year, like selling hardware? What is it that kind of makes your business go? Because oftentimes, you know, they weren't getting a big a big paycheck off of selling our solution, right? They were using us to kind of get to the end goal of like getting that big, you know, data center project that they wanted, right? So for me, I would go in there and I would just say, listen, you know, number one, we're not going to go direct. We would never, you know, go behind your back. We're a hundred percent channel focused. We always had spiffs going, right? So like I sold a deal I remember in Q4 2018 and we had a, a spiff like for every endpoint sold, the channel rep would get like $1, right? So if we sold 5,000 endpoints, they get $5,000. We sold this deal and I think this guy, you know, ended up getting a $10,000 check in addition to whatever margin that he was getting, right? And that was like the reason that he sold our solution, right? So working with your cams to really understand like, hey, what makes these people go? and really harping on that and then using the money that your company is allocated for spiffs and incentives and things like that, I think is really the best way to go about it. Slandering your competitors and doing that stuff. These guys and gals have too many different things to sell. You know, if you tell them like, hey, we're better for this reason, they're just going to forget it like five minutes after the call, right? The other question I wanted to circle back to as well is you just had mentioned in brief deal reviews. What does a great deal review look like to you? I used to always be told that I had a healthy or close to a healthy sense of paranoia when it came to our deals, right? My deals in particular. I'm not like the most optimistic guy, you know, when it comes to uh, picking apart opportunities. If somebody says, hey, I had a great conversation today with this guy, he told me everything that I wanted to hear. 
I'm like, well, what did he tell you that you didn't want to hear, right? Like what questions did you ask that made you actually question uh, the validity of this deal or the step that you just took? In our market in particular, the mobile security market, or the mobile threat defense market, we have to always be asking our customers, why? Why do you need this? Why are you buying this? What's the requirement for this? Who signed off on this? You know, it's not necessarily unique questions, but for us, most customers are implementing our solution for the first time. It's not rip and replace like it was at Carbon Black, where it's like every company has an antivirus, right? And they're just looking for the next best, greatest thing. Here, it's what's the value and why is this company going after this? You know, we can get the technical recommendation and win all day long. We have the best product in the market. I believe that. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. But for us, it often comes down to why has the company allocated budget and resources at this time to this project? Because they've had the opportunity to for the last, you know, 10 years and they chosen not to. So why now? Is it something that we introduced into the organization? Is it something that one of our partners has introduced? How often have we talked to these guys previously? Because if somebody's telling you everything that you want to hear all the time, there's usually some type of gotcha at the end. That's what I've found here at least. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in making sure that you're asking a structured set of questions in deal reviews because exactly you say, Lord, how, how are things going? They're just going to tell you what's going well. Because what I find is in deal reviews where that are not structured, you know, people, managers or whomever it is, just get into the routine that they always ask about the economic buyer and they don't even think, but they forget about metrics or they forget about competition or they forget about so that they're not consistently asking each time. Being on the receiving end of that, would you feel that that was a burden to have to sort of score your ops every every week or whatever it was on on all the medic criteria? Yeah, so it's funny. We actually have uh, medic built out into our Salesforce for every single deal. So it's not required, right? A lot of our smaller deals, it's it's not in there. But for any of our larger opportunities, we're usually asked to fill that out and provide updates on it on a week to week basis. At Carbon Black, we use Clary. Uh, and Clary was astoundingly accurate. Like, couldn't believe how accurate that solution was in predicting deals that were coming in versus deals that weren't coming in. And it really, what I liked about Clary was I would have it open every single day. And if there were deals that were in, like, I think they were color coded like red, yellow, and green, if I'm remembering correctly, or maybe blue for the good ones. And they were scored on like 20 to 100 or something like that. Like 20 was always like the lowest deal score that I had 100 or 99 was like close one or whatever. And it made me be honest with myself every single day. Like if I had a bunch of deals that were in the red or below like 50% and I knew that I'd been talking to them for a long time, it was like, all right, I got to get rid of those. Like it's time to close off that and just move on to the next one. So kind of getting back to your question, I do think reps need to be enabled to have kind of like the more honest talk with themselves and you can do that through data really easily. And if somebody chooses to ignore that and they're underperforming, then a person probably just doesn't want to be there enough, right? In your experience, those deals where you had happy eyes, but the system was telling you this is a bad deal, what was usually the red flag or what were some of the key red flags? In security, that's like the number one thing, right? I covered Michigan out at Carbon Black and there was an insurance company out there that was using one of our competitors and 
they reached out to us and they were like, Hey, we hate this. Uh, we're going to do a, a POC with you guys. And I was like, great. Do you have budget for this? And they were super good at giving me all the steps, of the procurement process. We had sent over like our EULA and they were having legal review that. And then we get to the end of the POC and they were like, we're ready to go. And this was Q1 2019. And it was a big deal for me. It was going to be like 10, 15% of my quota. I was like, I'm going to get the year off to like a bang here. This is awesome. Remember, I brought uh, my manager, Caitlin Coskin, into the room and she was on the call with, this is the only call she was on the entire deal with me. And the CISO was going to be on with the security team that we'd been doing the POC with. And I just remember the CISO caught on. I'll remember this for the rest of my career. And she was just like, I had no idea that this was happening. And we're under contract with that vendor for another two years. So there's like no way that we're moving off of it. I remember I hung up and I was just so defeated. I was like, oh my God, like I should have just asked some better questions throughout this process. I should have really made sure that I was doing everything I can to get as high as I can in that account. So that was a good learning lesson for me. And I'm, I have a new rep under me right now. Um, it's his first quarter in the seat. He's got a big deal that he's working, that he inherited, that he's honestly done most of the work on and he's doing a really good job with it, but he doesn't have access to the CIO. And he calls me. He actually just slacked me before I got on here. He's like, we got the technical win. And his SC is like, hey, we got the technical win. I'm like, that's great, but I need you to get higher. Like, I, I know you're at the director level right now, but I need you to get to the CIO because the last thing that you need is that gets squashed at the end of the quarter. You know, if I were to call up one of your peers, what would they say makes you successful in your role? And just to frame it even further, I think it's being strategic is focusing on things that you both a do and then things that you consciously decide not to do. So what are some of your, you know, conscious do's and don'ts? Yeah, I think one of the things that people would say is just I'm really probably to a, a fault like really transparent and honest. If things are going well, like I'm happy and I'll, I'll tell you that I think they're going well, but if they're not going well and there's room for improvement, which I feel like there always is, I will always be in people's ear saying like we could do this better. We need this piece of data. This is what people actually care about. And I think I can be overly demanding sometimes, but it's not in the sense of like, I don't want to do the work. You know, I think people could view that as like, yeah, he's just like blaming marketing or he's, you know, not really taking responsibility for his own destiny. But I view it as like the exact opposite, right? Like I want to talk to every single person that I can at the company to get a better understanding of like what we're doing and seeing where we can make improvements based off the conversations that I have with my customers or business processes that we run through with our partners that we might be able to improve upon, right? We partner and I really hope, you know, wherever I land, you know, after lookout at some point in the future, right? It's the same way because we're partnering so heavily with marketing here. Like every single day we're talking to marketing, whether it's about new content, whether it's about data, whether it's about campaigns. And they give us a real voice and a real say in everything that goes out the door and all the data that gets ingested, right? They're not afraid to share it. And I love that. And I continue to keep asking for more. What are people looking at? Why are they coming to our website? What's the interest in this solution? And what can we do to break through the noise? I think breaking through the noise has been the toughest part for everybody throughout all this. And what we found is... <laughs> doing like giveaways and looking into a platform like a Sendoso or an Alice to do like intelligent giveaways and, you know, incentives for people to meet with us is like 
been really important, really like successful. We've asked for that type of stuff just as an example to like break through the noise because the data is telling us that like what we're doing, even in terms of personalization, might not necessarily be landing with our prospects. So when we go to marketing, we say that it's like, hey, we're here to help you guys. We're here to grow the business. And I just really appreciate that, that part of it. So yeah, going back to your original question, I think it's just honesty, transparency, and just a desire to get better. I want everybody to get better. Yeah, that's awesome, Troy. Well, it was such a pleasure learning from you today. You gave me a few great epiphanies actually and shattered one of my long-held wrong beliefs. And I appreciate that. Uh, if people want to learn more about opportunities at Lookout or learn from a, a rising star, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, you can always get me on LinkedIn. I'm actually hiring for an inside sales rep. You can always go to lookout.com uh, slash careers, I believe, and apply to that role, or you can just reach out to me directly on LinkedIn here. So Awesome. Well, thanks for taking time with me today. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 